today's episode of Juicing the Numbers. I am your host, Joshua Tracy. And I am Corwin Heller. And Corwin, what are we talking about today on the show? Oh, we'd be talking about some wrestling. Some NCAA wrestling. I hate you so, so much. Why, you don't like wrestling? Uh, I don't like you. (laughs) (laughs) So as I mentioned on the Monday episode, Corwin spent his weekend um, in in Pittsburgh for... uh, All right, so what what was the actual purview of the competition? Because I said... I said states, and when I, link, when I listened back to the episode, I was like, that's some high school shit. Like, this shit ain't states. <laughs> Is it, like, Big 12? What I went to? Yeah, like, what the fuck was it? This was the NCAA Division One National Championship. Okay. So, like, this so tell was me the about big it. shebang. Um, yeah, it now, was... For, real quick, before you get started, just for reference, we're forgoing a stats topic for this week. Um, we talked about it, and between... My being sick uh, all of last week and then Corwin being away all of last week. And it was just we didn't have enough time to really truly prep a topic we felt comfortable discussing. And rather than talk about a really half-assed statistical subject, we figured we could still talk about this and a few um, current topics. So it's kind of like having two Monday episodes in the same week. But we thought that would be just fine rather than just throw some random ass bullshit at you so yeah that's just the warning i guess before we get into the wrestling <laughs> all right wrestling time yeah go ahead wrestling time yeah all right go ahead. so basically i spent thursday through sunday out in pittsburgh um spending you know roughly you know eight nine hours a day watching just dudes grapple each other in just super tight pennies and it was honestly probably one of the best weekends of my life solid buddy <laughs> so tell, tell me about the you know the structure of the the competition and so, all that. so basically what it is in college wrestling just as a bit of a background uh there's 10 weight classes um and in the tournament it's 33 wrestlers at each weight class uh, I did the math, 33 times 10, that's a lot of wrestlers. Um, and basically there is, it's a double elimination tournament with a primary champions bracket and a secondary consolation bracket. You need to lose twice to drop out the top eight finishers at each weight class become all americans and then there's you know third not third consolation but there's wrestlebacks for the fifth place the third place and the seventh place matches so i mean i could it's an audio podcast so i'm reading off of the brackets here but basically for josh just for your knowledge every day they give you a giant packet filled with these brackets from the previous session, giving you, um, you know, it's a bracket. It's not hard to explain. It's literally what you would think it is. Um, and, man, it's just, it's hundreds of matches. Uh, I think in all there's 640 matches throughout the entire tournament. Um, I watched probably 600 of them. And basically how they set it up, it was in the PPG Paints Arena out in Pittsburgh where the Penguins play. 
and it's they basically just take out the ice, throw six wrestling mats up in there, and it's just you know for the entire. Well, if of the they session, run it like MSG, just... they were probably on top of the ice because that's how I know MSG runs. I think that's how all um, hockey slash basketball stadiums run it. They actually put stuff on top of the ice. Honestly, I have no idea. I've never actually watched them break it down, but that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, it's because I guess it's like when you think about it, it makes so much more fucking sense. Because I thought the same thing. I thought right. that there'd be basketball shit underneath, but then you got to think. I mean, then they got to keep pumping water into the fucking place, mm-hmm. and that just sounds like nonsense. So instead, what they do is they add a layer on top, and then they put like. X number of feet by X number of feet chunks of the basketball wood. Right. Um, the floor wood on top of the ice, which is why Rangers fans, myself included, always complain about the ice being shitty at MSG because, because there's literally basketball games happening on top of the ice. So mm. I actually have seen them put together and pull apart like the, uh, the basketball court at MSG when I was there actually for a Penn State basketball and hockey doubleheader i just didn't see the part where they covered up the ice i just saw them piecing together the actual like it is like it's like six foot by six foot sections of court that just piece together like regular flooring in your house yeah it's kind of crazy to see but anyway yeah so basically all this happens in different sessions throughout the week uh there were six sessions total There's a morning and afternoon session on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday with the championships being, you know, 7, 8 o'clock Saturday night. Um, Yeah, so just like to give you an idea of how much time I spent wrestling, I spent from 10.30 to 11 at night on Thursday watching wrestling with like lunch breaks in between, but still. And then from 10 a.m. to 11.30 on Friday and 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. on Saturday saturday so just the like i thought i was gonna have time to get work done and like be able to piece something together for the podcast finish homework study for an exam i had yesterday whatever but no it's literally just me sitting watching wrestling and it was fantastic how many how many matches were happening at one time so they start out with six matches at a time basically just rotating through like there's never any dead there's never any open match it's just whenever one opens up another one starts right after um and then on the second day they took out two of the mats so they would have the championship bracket in like a middle two section and then on the four outside mats they'd have the consolation brackets so you're burning through it faster than having to watch you know all of these matches at one time or having to split them up. And then uh, Saturday, they had three mats in the morning. And then for the championships, they just put the one final mat on this giant platform in the middle and just let loose. Um, Just for some further breakdown, because I've talked with Josh about this before the podcast, and, you know, he's unaware of how wrestling works. It's three periods long. The first period being three minutes. The second two periods are each two minutes. Scoring is two points for a takedown, which is basically just having the control of the other wrestler and taking him basically to his knees. 
you get a point from escape. So when you get taken down, if you can break free, you get a point. You get two points for something called a reversal. So basically, if you get taken down and without escaping, you flip it around and take down the other guy. That's another two points. And then the only other big thing is back points. So basically, if you take some guy down and flip him on his back, you get points for you get up to four points for doing that based off of how long you can keep them there. Um, and then since this is essentially a team setting, the way they have it set up with like the dual matches between two schools or for the overall tournament, teams earn points based off of winning a match and winning a match in bonus points. So there's a major decision. There's a regular decision, which is just winning the match. There's a major decision where you win by eight or more points. There's a tech fall, which is if you win by 15 or more points, they stop the match and say, it's a mercy rule. Basically, stop fucking murdering this kid. Let him go. And then there's a pin. So basically, if you get both of the opponent's shoulders to touch the mat, the back of their shoulders, I should say, both of those get touched to the mat, it, they call it, it's a pin. If you had to give me a percent of how many of these matches actually ended in a pin, what would you say that was? Because I'd have to imagine that's like the ultimate, right? Right. I mean, that's, Everyone like the that's the goal. The exactly. So the pin is like the big thing. If it's like the ultimate, I dominated you this match. I fucking pinned your ass. That's the big thing. Um, man, it's hard to say. I mean. I'm sure you guys have noticed by now, I'm a big Penn State fan. And Penn State wrestling at the moment is the best in the business. So we have a lot more pins than most teams. Um, but just for reference, um, the two wrestlers who I'll talk about later, Jason Nolf and Bo Nickel, they have the career all-time pin record at Penn State, which is 60. So over four years, they've gotten 60 pins with roughly 30-some matches each year. Granted, in five matches so far in the... Or not so far. In the five matches during the tournament, Bo Nickel had three pins. Pretty fucking cool. But, you know, they're not super common. So would you say somewhere like 10 or 20%? Or is that even too high? Um, man, it's just, it really, just I know you don't have any actual numbers to base this right, off. Right, this right. is just kind of gut eye test feeling, but I mean, for guys like Bo Nickel and Jason Nolf this year, it was closer to like 50%. But I mean, those yeah, are I was top trying tier to, guys. I, those are like, I was trying know, to go below that because right. see, that seemed like a little um, bit too high as a guess. Yeah. So for like a typical all American, he might get, you know, five in a season. So, you know, 15%, maybe, yeah, 15, 20% if they're wrestling, you know, a normal opponent. Um, and it's just, you know, you wrestle so many of these schools and there's just so many wrestlers. There's a big difference between play level, you know, like guys against Penn State. We wrestled teams like Edinburgh College. We're going to kill kids from edinburgh college like it's rough so like there's going to be a lot more pins obviously that round if we play like an ohio state an iowa oklahoma state 
we might be lucky to get a pin or two in that entire match. Well, I guess that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You don't see a lot of pins in like high level matches, which makes it just so much more exciting when they do happen. Right. So the the, the three pins that that one dude got in the mm-hmm. in the uh, over the weekend must have been a huge fucking deal. Right. Huge deal. Um, there was, I'm forgetting like specific matches off the top of my head, um, but really like in the top, let's say quarterfinals on, there really was only you know less than a handful of pins in the entire tournament. Well, I bet, especially as you get to the later rounds. Right. Um, I think there might have been like one or two in the semifinals, and I don't think there was any in the final uh, championship like finals. What would you compare a pin to in other sports? Is there really a good comparison? A knockout punch in boxing. Yeah, um, or a con- converse, or, or similarly a re- knockout in MMA or UFC. But right. There really isn't. No, because there's no there's, other immediate ending. There's nothing that just ends the game right then. Like it's like the golden snitch, you know. Again, Quidditch isn't a real sport, although that argument can even be made nowadays, which I don't want to have. But no. Because that's a it's a sad man's yeah. argument. Just, uh, I, I guess maybe a walk off hit, but you still have to perform the whole game up mm-hmm. to that point. So I'm not sure that really counts either. So throughout the weekend, yeah. we were hanging out with some of my dad's college buddies back in the day. One of which his father was one of the Penn State managers and coaches back when they first won their first national championship in the fifties. And stuck with them for a couple of years. And we were all trading stories with um, wrestlers that he had coached and scouted over the years. And one guy was saying how he was down 20 to nothing. They didn't have a tech fall. They didn't have um, any mercy rules in like the competition he was wrestling at. He was down 20 to nothing. Just gets lucky with a mistake the opponent makes. Flips the guy over, pins him, match over. Completely dominated the entire match. Had no hope. Got lucky. Was able to pin the guy down, and that's it. Game over. Just an yeah. Aaron Rodgers like don't have, fourth quarter comeback. You don't have to be performing at all, but all you need is that pin. And it sucks, though, because yeah. like you're watching these matches, and maybe one of your wrestlers is down by you know an insurmountable margin for how much time is left and you're just sitting there it's just like all right he's got to pin the guy and you're just sitting there everyone there knows he needs a pin and the other guy's just dancing around not letting the guy get close and uh, it's always just that little sliver of hope that hurts the most yeah i know what you mean bud um do you have any other questions you want me to go into not in the immediate all right so let me bring up the final standings and whatnot. Um, How many? Actually, I do. How many colleges or universities get invited to come to this thing? And can you also can you come in as an independent wrestler, or do you have to? No, it's NCAA. I guess you have to be part of associated mm-hmm. with some kind of school. So how many schools go? So I know you said three hundred thirty some odd wrestlers, but right. So it's not the schools that get invited. Um, this is actually a good part because this players. is where I was going to go next. It's the individual wrestlers that qualify. So basically, they have 
conference tournaments like you would have for basketball or you know football in a way and based off of how you finish in the conference tournaments you qualify like usually it's the top three for major conferences qualify top two for lesser ones and maybe just the championship the champion for lower level conferences qualify for the tournament and then at the end they'll have 50 or so 45 50 or so at large bids that the ncaa can just hand out to wrestlers um at any weight class so like if a guy is hurt and can't wrestle or you know a top-seeded wrestler is upset in a conference tournament he's still able to go to the ncaa championships so um pretty much all the top 20 ranked guys plus you know champions who might have upset someone and a couple of other big name wrestlers get invited um but in all this year there were 63 schools actually that's not true um i have to actually look it up there was 63 there was a tie at 63 between eight schools so there was 91 total schools that participated this year I'm imagining amongst the fans, Penn State was probably very well represented. Yeah, being in Pittsburgh, Penn State was probably, I don't know, probably like 30%, 35% of the crowd. So the way it works did, did, is individual did schools. Did Pitt send get, schools? Send yeah, players? Pitt sent a handful of wrestlers. I don't know how many off the top of my head. Uh, Penn State, for instance, sent nine out of the ten weight classes. Um, Pitt probably sent around six, I want to say. Um, but each school basically just gets an allotment of tickets that they sell to their alma mater, to their schools. And then um, based, and then bigger schools just get larger allotments of tickets. Schools with more wrestlers get more tickets, stuff like that. And what's interesting about that is Penn State is so popular right now amongst you know wrestling fans they always run out of tickets so it's nearly impossible to get tickets through penn state and this year you needed to have enough of what i think we call nittany lion points so basically donations to the university in order to even buy the tickets and it worked out to something like a hundred thousand dollars in donations outside of tuition Jesus. Just to be able to buy the tickets to go to the championships. How did your dad get tickets to this? So, my cousin Ryan, my dad's nephew, is the director of facilities for the Pittsburgh Convention Center, who buys tickets for the NCAA championships um, through whatever c connections you know they have with PPG Arena, and we got those tickets which were fantastic. I'll talk about them later. But the people that we went with bought season tickets for Lehigh, um, University of Penn, Princeton, smaller schools who are still going to make the tournament. They buy season tickets and get the championship-level tickets through those schools because it's cheaper than buying through Penn State. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, our tickets were absolutely phenomenal. Um, we were equivalent to like the 30 yard line 
maybe like three or four rows back. Row H, whatever that is. I don't know numbers. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it was fantastic. That's great. Um, man, it, like we just had some great views of the entire wrestling tournament, all six matches. It was fantastic. Remember those seats we had to the the double header in in Baltimore? Yeah. Oh, um, that was so great, honestly, wasn't that it? That was fantastic. You tell oh, you can tell so that good. story. I mean, I saw a bunch of story. We we went to uh, Yankees had a makeup game in 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 Baltimore because we had so many fucking rainouts last year, and it was actually Players Weekend because remember they wore the, the the Players Weekend jerseys, which was super weird in person to see the Yankees not wearing pinstripes or road grays, and we bought. We bought the lower section seats for the first game at like 60 bucks a pop, which is still fucking nothing. And then we bought shitty seats for the second game and then just went up and waited to see that Camden Yards would not fill up and then ended up sitting in basically our exact same fucking seats again after like the second inning or so, which was great. (laughs) Actually, Matt and I just bought our tickets for the Kansas City games. So I'm fucking pumped about that. Yeah, um, we bought tickets right next to the Yankees dugout, and for the for the Friday night game, and then for the Saturday night, Saturday night game, we bought I bought seats literally up against the Yankees bullpen. So I want to like get there early and like see if I can get the attention of where the fuck starting that night, and just be you know <laughs> the gigantic ass Yankees fan that I am. And just shout at whoever it is and tell them I love them because I love all of them. I thought you were gonna say be the gigantic asshole Yankees fan that I am, but that also works. I mean, what is one without the other? Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, we didn't buy tickets for the third game because we're gonna try to see like if we can do what you and I did with the Baltimore thing. Um, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. I'm just excited for Yankees baseball again, man. Uh, two more days and we get to watch it. I already have the uh, an alarm set for opening pitch. I think of the Mets Nationals game, which is going to be the first one I watch. Yeah, I'll be watching the Yankees Nats or Yankees. Um, oh fuck, who are we opening with? Is it? The, yeah, it's the Orioles. Yeah, uh-huh. Yankees O's one have, o'clock. So Kashner, I'm watching right? in my office. You're wrestling. You're you're wrestling against Kashner. You're facing off against Kashner. Uh, yes, I, I honestly, after Andrew Kashner, I have no idea who the Orioles starting rotation is. So I know whoever Alex the fuck... Cobb is there and that's it. Oh, he is still there. Yeah, because I remember listening to um, the Effectively Wild um, season preview series and they just did the Orioles like yesterday or some shit or today. And they ju- they were saying like, yeah, I don't know if they've even announced their other starters yet. So... I'm gonna be curious who the fuck we face after after those two. Oh god, I just looked up their starting five. Give it to me. Andrew Kashner, Dylan Bundy. Yeah. Oh, I forgot he was on that team. Because he's real bad when he's not on his game. Uh, yeah. David Hess. Okay. Mike Wright. Okay. Oh no, it doesn't Nate sound right Carnes. Oh, Nate Carnes, I remember. I think he was on the Royals last year. Was he the one that flirted with that with that perfect game? I don't even <laughs> I don't there even was, know how to look there that was up. Some, he was there was some on... random ass Royals yeah. pitcher last season who like had a perfect game 
through eight innings and then got into the ninth and then walked a batter to ruin his perfect game, but still had a no-hitter, and then let up a single and got pulled. Like, and it was just someone totally out of the fucking blue. I want to say it was Nathan Carnes. Here we go. Perfect games broken up in the ninth inning. Um, Jorge Lopez for the Royals. Rich Hill of the Dodgers. That one was sad. Yeah, those were the only two in the past two years. All right, then maybe it was this Jorge Lopez folk, yeah. uh, guy. But oh well. Oh well. Yeah. Mike Messina, September 2nd, 2001. He must. Have, he was still with the Orioles at that point. Uh, no, he was with the Yankees. Oh, right, right. Oh, one to oh eight. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. He bookended our championships. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Uh, baseball. Can't wait. I know. Me too. Anyway, continue with your wrestling speaks. Yeah, I don't know where I was, but I'll just start from the results. <laughs> um, I think that's what you were doing. Yeah. That's fair. All right, so Penn State actually went into the finals with uh, five wrestlers. We had six in the semifinals, brought five into the finals. Um, so five finalists out of you know ten weight classes is wildly impressive. Um, we ended up actually securing the national title before the second or before the third day even started. Um, Jesus. So, yeah, it was kind of... Lopsided? It was pretty lopsided, but I think that took away from kind of... I don't want to say motivation, but energy out of our wrestlers in the final day. Like, they just... I don't know. Regardless, Penn State finished with 137.5 points. Second place, Ohio State finished with 96.5. Oklahoma State... State finished third with 84, Iowa was 76, Michigan was 62 and a half, and Mizzou was 62. Um, I guess I could just burn through the champions. Um, so of the 10 weight classes, there's 125 pounds, 133, 141, 149, 157, 165, 174, 184, 197, and 285. So Spencer Lee, Nick Suriano of Rutgers. Actually, Spencer Lee of Iowa, Nick Suriano of Rutgers, Yanni Diakamahalis of Cornell, Anthony Ashnall of Rutgers, Jason Nolf of Penn State, Mikai Lewis of Virginia Tech, Zahid Valencia of Arizona State, Drew Foster of Northern Iowa, Bo Nickel, and Anthony Kassar of Penn State rounded it out. Um, so something pretty cool. Rutgers has never had an NCAA champion until this year when they won two in Nick Suriano and Anthony Ashnault. So that's pretty impressive for Rutgers. Virginia Tech got their first national champion with Makai Lewis. Um, and I actually think Drew Foster is the first for Northern Iowa as well. So pretty huge for those schools. Um, I mean, Penn State finished with three champions in Jason Nolf, Bo Nickel, and Anthony Kassar. Nolf and Nickel being two of 
honestly the greatest wrestlers in college wrestling history. Uh, just absolutely dominant. They each won their third national title. Both are four-time finalists. Um, they have just been absolutely dominant over their careers. Like I said earlier, they both hold the record for career pins at Penn State with 60. Um, Bo Nickel essentially had a pin in like 70% of his matches this year, um, which was phenomenal, unheard of. Um, I mean, it was great. Um, out of the big matches... Makai Lewis was probably the biggest upset, defeating Penn State's Vincenzo Joseph, who was the... Ooh, what a name, Vincenzo, Vincenzo. Joseph. Oh, my God. I love Chenzo God, so that's... much. I was absolutely heartbroken when he lost. But basically, coming... So before finals, the top three at this weight class were Vincenzo Joseph, Alex Marinelli, and Evan Wick. Makai Lewis beat all three of them. On his way to the national championship. Absolutely was dominant. I didn't think there was any way that Alex Marinelli was going to get upset at all in this tournament. I thought Vincenzo didn't even have enough to beat him. This kid, Makai Lewis, was a world junior champion. Burned through all three of those guys. Just deservedly took home the most outstanding wrestler of the tournament trophy. Just killed it. Um, yeah, I mean, Anthony Kassar upset Derek White in a wild match. Um, you know, Max Dean lost out to Drew Foster in one that just came down to the wire. Um, man, just looking back, like, these were some pretty fantastic matches. Uh, except for Nick Suriano over Dayton Fix. That one was fucking dumb, and I hated it. Um, basically just... Do you remember that... Floyd Mayweather Manny Pacquiao fight where Floyd oh, just kind of stood around and just like threw some punches in here and there. Where and didn't... Floyd played his game, which is a really yeah. shitty, like not fun game to watch, but it's it's literally what everyone was expecting to happen. Now just imagine. Yes, I remember what you mean. But imagine both boxers doing that, where both of them are just playing super defensively. No one's taking any shots. They're just kind of standing around, circling each other, not doing anything, just waiting for time to run out. That's what this 133 match was. It was dumb. I hated it. Yeah, it sounds fucking lame. Um, probably the biggest match outside of this was uh, a rematch of last year's national title at 157 between Jason Nolf, again of Penn State, and Hayden Heidley of NC State. Uh, Nolf beat him in the finals last year. They wrestled in the semifinals this year. And it was a super tight match down to the wire. Nolf was up by one point with 30 seconds left. Um, they were in a neutral position, which means both guys were facing each other. No one was had been taken down, quote-unquote. Um, and they both have a chance to go for a takedown. Nolf to seal the victory. Hydley to steal it away from Nolf. And with roughly... A second and a half left. Hydley dives in and looks to start taking control of Nolf. Is able to bring him to his knees with just milliseconds left on the clock. They call it with a timer. They don't award a takedown, even though he 
got control and it looks like he took him to his knees. They challenge it. They go to video review. Everyone is in their seats just biting their fingers waiting to see if Nolf gets knocked off. They go to review. They say, hey, they took him down, but it wasn't in time. We can't award any points. Nolf walks away as uh, a finalist, ends up winning the match. In an interview immediately after, Nolf was like, fuck, man. I well, He didn't say fuck. He's too nice for that. But he's like, damn, that should have been two points. He should have beat me. In the stands, it looked like he should have beat him. I am not going to complain about the refs here because it worked out in my favor. But it, honestly, it could have been like riot worthy if that was in the finals. Like people would have thrown fits if something like that happened. Like it's it would be the equivalent of a guy running in for the game-winning touchdown after being down six points with like half a second on the clock, and they just spend five minutes watching whether or not the ball crossed the plane right as time expired. And just everyone there thinks they know the answer, and the refs are just like, fuck it, we don't know. Just give them the victory, whatever. So, like, dangerously close to the rams Titan Super Bowl. Yeah. Dangerously close. Yeah. Honestly, man, I thought I was going to have a fucking heart attack throughout some of these matches, just with how stressful it gets. Classic fucking Nolf. Nolf. Classic Nolf. Classic Nolf. So, out of the desire to be a good co-host, I decided to Google greatest wrestlers of all time, see if there was, you know, any college information there. I could see if I could find, like, mm-hmm. maybe some old Penn State dudes. No, I, every single result is just WWE, which, like, of course it is. Like, I don't know why I thought I'd get ha- Olympic-style wrestling. You have to just throw college wrestling in front of it. You just have to throw best college wrestlers did of you all ever, time. Did you ever get into WWE? No. I never did either. I tried watching it because one of my roommates in college was big into it, and I can appreciate the pageantry, but like yeah. I just don't care. I just don't care. I'm the same. Although way, I do like, like, I like, I like clips on YouTube. That's yeah, what yeah, I like. Yeah, yeah. Like looking back, if I grew up in the '80s when you know Macho Man Randy Savage and the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan were running the show, actually I think Hogan was after that, but whatever. I probably would have gotten. In- gotten into it just because those guys are just such characters but whatever well, number number one on this list of the sports illustrated 101 greatest wrestlers of all time Gail is rick flair <laughs> that kind of wrestling still classic rick flair <laughs> and then it's number two of Shawn michaels and then number three is stone cold steve austin uh number four is the rock and number five is the undertaker so like i know most of these names Number six is Dusty Rhodes, and I have no idea who the fuck that is. Um, so if yeah, you, so that's my contribution so to the wrestling So if you do want to see, go to Google Top College Wrestlers, and there should be a website called like Flow Wrestling. Click on that, and that'll give you the best, the actual best wrestlers of all time. So did you go to, while you were in Pittsburgh, did you do any Pittsburgh stuff? Did you go to, like, Primanti Brothers or anything? Um, we actually didn't go to Pramani Brothers. Um, I still have never gotten a sandwich from there. Really? Yeah. That shit's so good. I go drinking there at Penn State all the time. I've never eaten food there. 
Wait, there's a there's a Penn State version of Pramanti Brothers? There's like a Pramanti Brothers in Penn State that at night turns into basically just like a nightclub. Oh, that's yeah. odd. It's okay. weird. Like when I first got here, I was like, no, I don't want to go spend my Friday night at a sub shop. Thank you very much. There are many other things I would rather be doing than going there. But it's a really good time. I recommend it. I love Pittsburgh's thing. Every time I go there, I always forget how much they love fried eggs on sandwiches. Oh. Every every fucking sandwich oh. has a fried. I don't be wrong. I love it's it. So good. I love it. But like, dude, like I remember once I was at a, I was at one and there was like peanut butter and jelly with a fried egg, and I'm like, do y'all just got nothing but eggs? Like, what happened to your yes. city? Everything is yellow, and everything has an egg yellow. on it. Did you ever been to the Leaf and Bean? No. Dude, you would love the leaf and bean. It's in um like the Polish section. Mm-hmm. Uh it's it's a coffee joint and cigar joint where they roll their own they make their own cigars and they make their own coffee. Dude, it's so fucking good. It's all wood interior. Um they have a coffee bar right when you walk in and then, and then it's like a huge fucking lounge and they have a walk-in humidor in there as well where you can go get cigars. So fucking good! Shout out to Damn. the fucking Leaf and Bean. Yeah, no, dude, that's a like I I anytime I'm in Pittsburgh, which has been twice, <laughs> I, I make sure I go to the Leaf and Bean because that shit's fucking awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, and everyone's so, super nice. I mean, we went to Southside, checked out you know some restaurants there. Went to this place called Clatas, which is an old Irish pub. I got a I burger say, with an Clata egg on it. Is there, very fucking Irish. Yeah. Um, that place was cool. Um, we went to Market Square, which is basically like, I don't know, it's basically a giant square with a bunch of nice restaurants in it. Um, ate at a place called City Works. It was pretty good. Got very drunk there. Got very drunk at Clada's. There was a lot of drinking involved. Um, it is Pittsburgh. It's Pittsburgh and my dad's college buddies. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of drinking involved and I didn't have to pay, which means... I actually did drink a lot. Um, where else did we go, man? We checked out the Pittsburgh Convention Center. They had a fan fest there. That was pretty cool. Got a picture, my picture taken with the championship trophy. Met some, that was pretty cool. I met so many just outstanding wrestlers there, like world champion wrestlers, Olympic champion wrestlers. Just super cool seeing all them. And you it's any just super casual. No, I didn't actually get any numbers. Who would have thought? Oh man, you, you know? should have you should have asked. You know what? As far as wrestlers go, I'm sure that they've had their fair share of reach arounds and fingers up the ass. So you know, some big lanky kid comes up to him, says, "Hey, want my number? Can I have yours?" They're like, "Nah, kid, walk out of here." Hey, it was great watching talking to you today. You want to go fuck sometime? <laughs> I'm all about it. <laughs> Show me your pin move. Oh, Jesus Christ. Penn State wrestling uh, in the shower. I have I have nothing constructive left to say about wrestling. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Um I mean I ended up looking up the top ten NCAA wrestlers of all time. Um Kale Sanderson, we've talked about him on the podcast before. Head coach for Penn State. Only undefeated four-time NCAA champion, 159-0, no doubt. Um, guys like Kyle Dake out of Cornell, uh, 
four-time champion, did it in four different weight classes. Uh, actually met him there. He's coaching for Cornell now. Um, Dan Hodge, who basically the wrestling Heisman is named after, three-time champ, 46-0, and 36 career pins. Logan Stiebler, who I met, four-time NCAA champ, um, has absolutely the hottest wife, like his wife. I stopped and just stared at this woman for an uncomfortable amount of time just because I was so taken aback. Whatever, that's kind of weird. Moving on. And then there's guys like Zane Rutherford and um, David Taylor on here from Penn State. Yeah, a bunch of guys that you have no idea who they are, but, you know, pretty damn good wrestlers. Pretty damn good. Um, well, right on, see. man. So, real quick, um, remember the other day when we were talking about AAA organizations for baseball teams, and I was shitting on the Mets, and I said I think that they stopped using Las Vegas as their AAA team. Yes, well, they did. They did stop using it. <laughs> this is the first season of because I remember, I remember I remember hearing something and mm-hmm. not remembering because it's not my team and I don't care that much. Uh, the Mets are now there's their AAA team is now in Syracuse. And uh, it came up in the news because uh, Noah Syndergaard was very pissy about having to go up to Syracuse. And, oh, uh, so, I did see that shit that went down. That shit was fucking yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, yo, the Mets are going to have to need to talk to Noah Syndergaard about shutting the fuck up. Because, dude, like, this is the team you work for. Like, how this isn't going to go well for your arbitration. That was some fucked up shit, though. Like, look, say Noah Syndergaard needs to shut like, the fuck on up. I am. I can see both sides of this argument. No, I don't see Noah Syndergaard's side at all. Really? At all? Not even a little bit. Dude, you're fucking wrong. I'm sorry, man. The fuck? You're not even changing fucking time zones. Quit being such a bitch. You're a pro athlete. You ain't going to take like, pick up your own fucking bag. Travels of nothing for you. You're going to complain to me about a fucking bus ride? Oh, Jesus. Why don't you go wipe my ass? This is such a stupid fucking thing to complain about. I don't get it. Yeah, it's moderately inconvenient, but, like, who gives a shit, dude? This is a bitch-ass thing to complain about. Mr. Never Proved Nothing to Nobody? Look, I like Noah Syndergaard as a player, and he seems like a cool dude, but fuck off, man. I don't see Jacob DeGrom, the recent Cy Young winner, complaining. Who the fuck are you, Noah? All you're known for is long hair and a big attitude. You ain't done shit. Shut the fuck up. Oh, uh, you're so fucking New York. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I, n- that's not, no, yeah, but that's not all of it. <laughs> I respect I respect his, his, his willingness to say whatever he's got to say, and he can say whatever he wants to say when he wants to say it. That's fine with me. But at the same time, I don't think it's a legitimate complaint. I'm cool with him saying it because if he wants to say it, go for it. But, uh, dude, like, that's such a pansy-ass thing to complain about. <laughs> uh, so, is that how you really feel? Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> what do you think about the Jacob deGrom uh, uh, extension? Just Five years, super, 130, Super team-friendly deal. I don't think it's that team friendly. That's a super low AAV for a guy of his talent. 
Not really. I mean, because they bought out two Arb years, so he was going to get seventeen million and then twenty three million for the two Arb years. So that means the remaining three years of the contract are at thirty two and a half AAV, which is right. Like that's how much he'd probably get paid. So I don't think it's very team friendly. It's just it seems accurate. It seems very accurate. I mean, I didn't really dive um, into it, but if they are buying out arbitration years, that makes a lot more sense than him just getting a, you know, five-year, hundred and thirty-five was it million-dollar contract? Like one thirty-two point five, but one thirty-five is good enough for us just talking about it like this, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't get it. No. So I, I get it to an extent. I think the Mets want to be a team positive organization because mm-hmm. they don't have a lot going for them. And so I think like calling up Peter Alonso to start the season and like paying out Jacob deGrom for winning the Cy Young, like those are nice things to do. They're mm-hmm. not good baseball organization things to do because they can hamper your team. Because you should have waited 12... I, I know it's shitty service time manipulation, but you should have waited 12 days to call up Peter Alonso so that you'd have an extra year of control. And you yeah. should have not given Jacob DeGrom this deal until next season because he's 30 and he has one good season under his belt. And I mean, we don't know if he's, he's an injury concern. Just, he's put and, up one phenomenal all-time true. season. Oh, he's you're, put up you're right. good seasons. You're right. But when you have two years of team control, yeah, why? Like, what's the point? Um, and, and the thing, the thing is, with with the Mets specifically, they will use this contract as a reason to not do other things because that's yeah. what the Mets love to do. They love to do that. They love to say, "Oh, we'd really like to pick up this free agent," but look at that contract over there. That's a big one, isn't it? So I, I. I like it because player getting paid. I'm always a fan of player getting paid. I will stick by player getting paid. I'm just not sure I get in a strictly business sense why the Mets would bother. I feel you. Did you see the shit that the Indian donor came and said about like after Yo. all this long-term contract came up? Yeah, the Francisco Lindor thing? Yeah. Dude, that's, fuck that guy. That's fucking ridiculous. Basically, he came out and said, some guy asked him, hey, like, are there talks about locking up uh, Francisco Lindor with all these other guys signing extensions, you know, face of the franchise, young, fantastic all-star player, all that. And he's like, look, you should just enjoy what's going on right now. I think he said, enjoy him while you got him. Um, I'm actually I think it was looking the exact for verbiage. Right but yeah, dude, that's so fucked. I'm sorry, but like, if you sh- if you're gonna own a team, you should be willing to spend money on the players. I mean, fuck, man, it 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 sucks seeing owners not willing to do that kind of shit. And I know this is coming off the heels of me just complaining about the Mets signing Degrom to an unwarranted extension, or at least a premature extension. But I'm not against the player getting paid. I'm just against that specific piece of that of that conversation whereas with this i mean jesus lindor should get an extent lindor should never have free lindor should never wear another jersey i mean i don't i don't i don't get what else you would possibly want 
like I just don't get why a team like the Indians who have had so much success can just turn around and say, yeah, I know we've been really good with these players and we've been competing for a World Series, but, you know, we're not going to sign any of our players long term because I know you want us to compete, continue competing, but we're just not interested in, you know, spending money. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, it should be an anti-competition issue with the MLB. I'm with you 100%. And what are they going to do when Jose Ramirez is owed a contract extension? You know? They're going to release him too? I get why the Marlins did what they did because there was a whole set of circumstances around what the Marlins had to do. Right. There was a whole set of circumstances around what the Orioles had to do. Circumstances which don't exist with the Indians. No. There's no reason, especially because you're going to be seeing other contracts coming off the books soon. You're going to be seeing Corey Kluber coming off the books in the next few years. And mm-hmm. Carlos Carrasco, no, actually Carlos Carrasco just signed an extension, didn't he? Four four years, right? Mm, something like that. Mid, mid-level Close deal. enough. Not, no money that's really going to prohibit you from spending money on these other players. And the thing was, no. if, if, if you're paying four dudes good money then the rest of your team's minor leaguers you're making out fine minor leaguers and and rookies don't make shit mm-hmm. compared to how much major leaguers should make i should say because you know like Sevy and judge and like those guys on the yankees i know are making like six hundred thousand dollars which is good money right. but for for an organization that fucking ain't shit so i just i i get that teams don't want to spend a lot of money if they're not in a competitive window but at the same time to have a face of the franchise style player to have a to have one big contractor shelling out for, if not for the organization to achieve wins, for at least the organization to help fans maintain some level of joy and satisfaction in that organization, doesn't that seem worth it? I don't get why teams don't think that that's worth it. It seems very worth it. Like I was just saying earlier, like hope is a big thing, and like. Just having a little sliver of it is just enough to like keep you on that high. Cool, our best player is gonna be gone in a couple of years. What fucking hope do we have of competing anytime soon? What hope do we have of the organization hanging on to good players? Right. So Paul, I'll give the Mets that kind of credit. The Mets, if they ever want to keep a player that they've had under contract or that they've had on their team, they will keep that player. Mm-hmm. I will give Mets a lot of credit for that. David they will Wright. hang on to their guys. Oh, of course. Is he still trying to come back this year, or was that it for him last no, year? No, he retired. Okay, officially. No, he, yeah, cool. they had a they had a yeah they had a big ceremony on a Saturday game. Yeah, I don't it was that. a huge deal. It was very it was very nice, very very classy. So Paul Dolan's exact quote was, "Enjoy him. We control him for three more years. Enjoy him, and then we'll see what happens." I mean, do you think any part of it's just a bargaining tactic? You know, you don't want to say I love him three years before his contract is up. I mean, arbitration, I guess, but it doesn't seem like it's really going to factor into an arbitration. Yeah, that doesn't factor into arbit. Like, it's not up to them, you know. Whatever. Yeah, I don't fucking get it. You know, I try and find another team that's not run like the Pirates just so I could, you know, watch one team compete every year. I chose very poorly. 
Well, hopefully, hopefully the owners fucking shaped. I mean, the, the Indians have shown a propensity to spend in the past. They've shown a willingness to do it. I'm not sure what the current hitch is in their uh, their 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 wallet reaching hand, but I I do have more faith in the Indians than I have in the Pirates to actually go out and spend a modicum of money. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, speaking of spending money. What do you think about the Red Sox and Chris Sale? Um, what was the five years, one hundred forty-five million dollars? Five know, years, one forty-five. If you had to give me a choice between signing Jacob Degrom or Chris Sale, I'm going to take Chris Sale every time. Um, I mean, granted, he did get more money, not exceptionally a lot more. I still think it's a really good deal. I like the yeah. idea of signing up Chris I, Sale long-term. I know a lot of Yankees fans, myself included, really hope this doesn't work out <laughs> because fuck them. It's the Red Sox. And um, a lot of people have been pointing to Chris Sale's second-half struggles throughout his career, which I think is fair to an extent, but people are acting like his second half of last season is a predictor that he's going to be at the end of his rope by the end of this contract. I don't think that's true. I think the Red Sox were just being exceedingly cautious with him last season because they had the luxury of doing so. They didn't mm-hmm. need to lean on him. They had a very comfortable lead in their division at that point. I mean, there was no reason to ask him to keep coming out when a DL stint didn't hurt them, like, at all. So, as much as I hate to say this, <laughs> uh, yeah, this makes it makes total fucking sense, and it's it's... A very good contract for both sides. Yeah. Uh, what about the Paul Goldschmidt deal? Five years, 130. Again, I think this one I'm a little less on just because I thought he showed his age a little bit in the start of last year. He proved me completely wrong later last year, but uh, Goldschmidt's what, like 33 now? Is he that old? I think he's an old fella. I, you know what's funny, though, is I've always thought of him as old. I've always thought He's of him 31. as being, like, 32, 33. Yeah. Okay. That's actually not terribly. Yeah, 36. That's actually not that bad of a deal. Um, I mean, a guy of his caliber. I mean, he's, you know, a first baseman. He's a Jacob DeGrom, Chris Sale. I don't think he's quite nearly as important as those guys, but... I think he's going to do wonders in St. Louis. I think he's going to have a fantastic year. So why not? They got plenty of young talent in St. Louis to uh, that they don't have to pay for a little while. So how about you? Yeah, I mean, you have all the things I would have said. Him and Matt Carpenter will be fun together. This is a good deal for both sides. I don't know what else there is to really say about it. Uh, only two other ones I want to talk about. The Astros and Justin Verlander, two years, $66 million. Again, I think the money is kind of on the ball for what Verlander's value is. I do like that it's only for two years because he's like 36. He's an old motherfucker. Um, yeah, I think he's 36 now, so I think they take him through his age 38 season. I'm just going to double check. Yeah, he's 36. Yeah, that's wild. Um, but, hey, 
Justin Verlander for two years. Can't really complain about that. I mean, yeah, th- this seems just so on the nose. I mean, two more years is a very safe commitment uh, in terms mm-hmm. of time. $33 million a year is exactly what you'd expect to spend on an ace starting pitcher in this market. Um, it it's This is also so not interesting because it's so perfect for both sides. Yeah, it's I like there's really nothing to even talk to say, about. Really. Yeah, I mean, it also seems like, you know, good on the Astros for rewarding the guy who probably was the main catalyst in them winning the World Series. Yeah, so, for sure. Man, he's yeah. so good. All right, and then the, the, he is Sorry, so MVP, Cy Young, Triple Crown, Rookie of the Year, seven-time All-Star, ERA title, Major League Player of the Year, ALCS MVP, 2017 World Series. Yeah, the dude's dirty fucking nasty. Pretty good. Pretty good. And 63.2 war. Anyway, final one. Mike Trout. 12 years, $430 million. Uh, uh, so much fucking money. Uh, I still think it's less than I would have tried to... Well, I think it's still less than what he's worth, but I think he definitely oh, got yes, exactly what he wanted. I've, I, love yeah, it. it's, I like that he's going to stay in Anaheim, not Anaheim, Los Angeles, for his career. It's Anaheim. It's, it's Anaheim. Yeah. It's all the same. Uh, yeah, he, he's worth so much more than this. <laughs> like, he's worth so much more than this in in, in money um, and in life. But, yeah, I mean, it, 12 years takes him through the end of his career pretty fucking much. Yeah. Um, and if he still has life in him at that point for baseball, I'm sure that the Angels will give him more time. They seem like a very stand-up organization. Oh, for sure. Um, in terms of AAV, it's not even really that bad. It does no. beat out Granky for like most ever, um, but it's still like not unreasonable, especially when you consider that you know the Angels will have more money down the road. Contracts will probably inflate in size. Inflation won't be much of a deal, but it'll be a small mitigating factor. So by the by, the latter six years of this contract, I doubt it's going to be such a huge deal, especially when Albert Pujols comes off the books. I really don't think oh, it's yeah. going to be that big of a deal. When is uh, that? Yeah, I mean, ooh, that's a great question, actually. I want to say 2021 is the last year of Albert Pujols' contract. Oh, okay, so that's not too bad. So it's coming up. Um, but I mean, they it, it's been proven right just now that it's not – Mm-hmm. so horribly offsetting or off-putting that they're not going to sign other people because they signed Mike Trout to the largest contract in every single way you could possibly want um, to, um, you know, while still paying Albert Pujols, whose last year of his contract is 2021. Josh was fucking right. Uh, which is also his age 41 season, which I think also shows that the Angels don't, aren't so afraid of age as maybe some other organizations have shown that they might be. I mean, to be fair, he probably should have stopped playing at age 38 when this Mike Trout deal is going to be up. I mean, granted, uh, Albert Pujols uh, yeah, still, yeah, he, you know, he should have. Play. But... To an extent. Look, man, 
Albert Pujols is like my generation or our generation's like Ricky Henderson in that he's just going to play forever, and I'm so okay with it. Like, if if Albert wants to go out and sign one year deals at the age of 42, dude, I'm here, man. Let's go. I'm ready Josh. for 45 year old Albert Pujols playing first base, trying to hit singles, struggling around bases. I love him so much. You have to remember that. I am still somewhat I'm still new to this sport to a degree. Like I don't have the same history with Albert Pujols that you do. Like I never really watched him growing up. I only know Albert Pujols as an angel. I don't know him really as a cardinal. And as much as I that really hurts for me him. to admit that, but like I don't know Albert Pujols when he was at his peak. I only watched Albert Pujols with the Cardinals when he played in the World Series because there wasn't really much interleague play. And I, even if there was, I wouldn't remember it um, because that means I'd be playing, or the Yankees, not me, would be playing him once every, like, three years, and I have just no recollection of that. But I remember him, I remember, oh, no, I remember all of his Angels tenure, and I remember him in the World Series all those times with the, with the, with the Cardinals. So that's my Albert Pujols. Plus, honestly, dude, I just love watching old dudes play baseball. I love watching old dudes play baseball. Going to Old Timers Day at Yankee Stadium is so much fucking fun. Watching fucking uh, Ron Guidry try to throw pitches. I watched I watched Andy Pettit hit a double. It was hysterical. I, I love watching old dudes try to play baseball. It's so much fucking fun. So here's some shit for you. Give me some shit. Mike Trout is, you know, let's just say he's making his $36 million this year. That's only seven and a half million less than the entire Tampa Bay Rays payroll. Uh, yeah, some would say they don't have much money. That's fucking <laughs> wild. That one player could be like yeah, man. fucking seventy to eighty percent of an entire team's payroll. And and this is one of the many reasons people say Tampa should not have a team. Because, like, while it's nifty, the way they keep finding ways to win, it's also shitty that they'll never have all-star players for a long period of time. That's Remember insane. David Price when he was on the Tampa Bay Rays? Yeah. Bet you don't. Because Actually, he don't. wasn't there for super long because they can't afford to pay the motherfucker. Remember when they had Wade Boggs? No. Bet you don't because <laughs> they couldn't afford to pay that man that much. Also, it was the end of his career. Remember I love when, listening to Jack Flaherty the of the Yankees Detroit Tigers had Max Scherzer, David Price, and Justin Verlander. And David Price and Anibal Sanchez. I said David Price. Oh, I didn't hear that part. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to be fair, Max Scherzer hadn't broken out, broken out yet. But yeah, that was a bad. That was a bad look for the Detroit Tigers, because. They should have been way better. They were not. I really, like, I, I had forgotten. Uh, the other day I was trying to think of who had won the World Series recently, and I gave the Detroit Tigers one that they did not win because I genuinely forgot that they did not win a World Series in the last, like, 15 years. <laughs> I really thought that they fucking did. I mean. And I, like, so like, I had I had too many World Series winners compared to World Series amounts, and I was like, <laughs> who didn't? What's wrong? It's the Tigers. It's always the fucking Tigers. They were so good, and they never finished it off. 
Yeah, imagine if they had fucking, you know, triple clown, triple crown winning hitters to like back up. Triple that clown, five. baby. ICP. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> fucking juggalos up in here. Remember when they had uh, Mickey and JD Martinez? Ugh. Because JD Martinez also used to be on that team until I he was about not. That. Yeah, that wasn't even that long ago either. That was like super no. recent. That was like two and a half years ago. Yeah, because I think they traded him to the Arizona. Arizona, Diamondbacks. yeah. Yeah. Fucking a. <laughs> yeah. Detroit, yeah. The Detroit Tigers. I feel so bad for Mike Illich. I miss Mike Illich. He was such a good owner. I don't know, Mister. He was the owner of the Tigers and the uh, the Detroit Red Wings, and he was just a righteous dude, or at least he was. Like the Detroit Red Wings, still, because um, he died only relatively recently. But mm-hmm. if you watch Red Wings games, they still wear a patch on their on their uh, uniforms to say Mister I. Oh yeah, I have um, seen those. Yeah, yeah, that's from Mike Illich. Like, Mike Illich, in secret, which th- this didn't come out until after he died. Paid for Rosa Parks' rent her entire life. I do remember seeing that, yeah. Man, like, Mike Illich was a genuinely good dude who just wanted to see Detroit do well uh, at the city and the teams that he, he owned and operated. Way to be, Mr. I. Way to be. I'm proud of you. Dude, yeah, I really hope one day there's, there's, a, there's a Mike Illich movie because I fucking love Mr. I. He was such a great, great stand-up dude he's he's one of the reasons i still like love watching detroit red wings and detroit tigers games because i feel some kind of odd bond with mr i just a great just we need owners like that as much as i love like the the rough and tumble george steinbrenner like and Mm -hmm. all the stupid weird stories the dudes generated over the years i'll always love mr i and his like kind Mr. Rogers vibe I always got off of him. <laughs> All right, if you want to reach us on Twitter, you can do so at Juicing Pod. It's Juicing P-O-D. If you want to find our website that has show notes for this episode and all previous episodes, you can do so at juicingthenumber.wixsite.com slash website. If you want to reach us via Gmail, you can do so at juicingthenumbers at gmail.com. And that's all for us today, folks. Y'all have a good one. Penn State National Champs.